The Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Mike Tomlin spoke yesterday at his weekly press conference. We will dig into some of the things he said here on this episode of The Steelers Standard with myself, Tom Opperman, and Jacob Recht. And the first thing I want to dig into that Mike said was a little update on Steph Tuitt. Said that Tuit is progressing, but do not expect him to be in the fold this week. I would probably also apply that to the week after this week. I just feel that if Tuit were going to come back, it's a two- to three-week thing after he is announced that he is returning to practice until he works his way back into game shape and works his way back into the fold with this defense. So... Still think that the Steph Tuit return is a little farther on the horizon for Steelers fans. Tomlin also addressed when talking about Tuit's absence that they got to have guys step up on that line. You know, Carlos Davis was a name he mentioned who has been out since week one. I've been saying that for a couple weeks now that that's a bigger loss than people are making it out to be because they are just so thin at that defensive line that an average player like Davis could make all the difference. He mentioned guys like Bugs needing to step up more. Obviously, Loudermilk is in that category as well, but I guess it's not the worst news you can get from Stefan Tuitt, the fact that he is progressing, according to Tomlin, just not really ready to think about activating him from IR and returning him to the practice field, but at least it's not... Well, no progress is being made, and it looks like he's going to be shut down for the remainder of the season. That is encouraging, to say the very least for me. It looks like Tuit has a chance to play in 2021. If that's a great chance or a poor chance, that still remains to be seen, but at least there still is a percentage attached to him returning. It's very bleak, Tom. The way that we thought the season would start with three defensive linemen all available Stefan Tuikam, Hayward, and Tyson Alawalu seems like a pipe dream almost at this point because right now you're only playing with one of those guys. You know Tyson Alawalu has essentially no chance of returning this season to play. And Stefan Tuit, the ambiguity is really driving you insane because with every passing week, there's always a, a glimmer of hope of of the possibility of him returning to the lineup. And then that is quickly shut down and delayed by another week. And it's 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 lather, rinse, repeat, basically, with that process. And I think that a lot of people were hopeful that the bye week was going to be the week that he returned. Uh, really, this has been one of the more bizarre injuries slash off-the-field issues that we've seen in a while here in Pittsburgh. Obviously, the injury is the bizarre part. The off-the-field stuff, when you lose a brother, you can't put a timetable on that grieving period and you know I don't I don't have a brother I don't know if you have a brother or not so uh, you lose a sibling I couldn't imagine what that would do to your psyche I I could very well imagine it takes more than just a year to overcome something as tragic as that that being said and putting that to the side though he has also been dealing with an injury according to the Steelers and and that's been a little bit more shrouded in mystery as to what that injury exactly is when did that injury happen? What's the current timetable for that return from injury? So that's the part that's a little mysterious with Tuit, and I think that's why you have kind of that mystery around his return where, yeah, it's still 
a possibility that he plays this season, and Tomlin certainly left that door open on Tuesday during his press conference. But I definitely also think it's no guarantee that he's back either. And maybe at the end of the year, if he doesn't play at all, we'll get a little more clarity as to what that injury was and kind of the whole process that he was going through throughout the year. But I don't think we'll know exactly what was ailing to it until either the end of the season or he does come back from IR. Yeah, it seems that way, John, because we have not gotten a clear answer or, or a clear explanation whenever Mike Tomlin is asked about the Tua situation. And I think part of it has to do with respect out of Stefan Tua himself and his family because to, to lose a family member at such a young age in such a tragic way, it is impossible to come to terms with in such a short amount of time, let alone letting others into your pain. The, the healing process is one that has no timetable whatsoever, but I do think you are correct when it comes to the injury diagnosis. There really shouldn't be any closed curtain once the season is over. I think full transparency is deserved if he does go the entire season without playing, just as an explanation, as some type of uh, clearance or some type of just closure on the subject. And, of course, you know, with him getting something done with his knee, a little procedure there, again, that's just one piece of the puzzle. We don't know what happened to that knee. We don't know how severe that injury was. I mean, he had to have minor surgery on it. So obviously there was something happening there that required the attention of a surgeon. And that's why I I think, you know, a lot of fans and a lot of people in the media like us are so up in the air about his potential return because, yeah, you hear that he had this procedure done to his knee, but how bad was the injury that required the procedure? How long is the timetable from the procedure to rehab that back to full strength? I mean, these are the unknown factors, and that's why it's so up in the air. But what's not up in the air is the impact to it always brings to the table when he is healthy and the fact that the Steelers are missing that impact right now desperately. Um, You saw the Seahawks have such incredible success running that football in the second half and they did so by running at the defensive linemen that weren't named Cam Hayward and having a ton of success doing that and that's going to be the game plan moving forward I mean that was put on tape by the Seahawks in that second half guaranteed the Browns are looking at that and with their superstar running back and best offensive line in football they're going to run the football away from Hayward all game long and try to exploit the mismatches created with Bugs and Loudermilk versus their offensive linemen and giving Nick Chubb a ton of room to operate. I mean, if Alex Collins had all that room to operate behind a pedestrian offensive line, then Nick Chubb's going to have a ton of real estate after that Browns offensive line clears the way for him. And once this game gets put on tape, I mean, that's it. That's what's the game plan is going to be for teams heading into Pittsburgh week for the rest of the season because I do have a sneaking suspicion that the Browns are going to run the ball really well on Sunday against Pittsburgh, and that's going to therefore lend even more of a blueprint on how to properly attack the Steelers' defense that is 
just too injured on that line to be successful. <clears throat> I think it's totally fair, Tom, to say that if Stefan Tuit or Tyson Alualu were back or or fully available to this team, if <clears throat> excuse me, if if Stefan Tuit was able to start the season or if Tyson Alualu never went down with his season ending injury, we wouldn't be having these conversations about stopping the run or Joe Schobert and Devin Bush struggling in the, in the second level of the running game because it stops, that conversation stops when you give Cam Hayward some type of teammate to play alongside of that can actually match his level of quality of play. Now, granted, Cam Hayward's playing the best year of his career, right? I, I think that's safe to assume. Probably. And... It's hard to, to match that level of dominance, but still, we know that we've always known that Cam Hayward has been the best of the three of those guys. And the reason that it's maybe gone unnoticed, Cam's true level of potential, is because he's had at least someone playing next side or next to him, right? Alongside of him. With both Tyson and with Stefan Tuit out. Cam's had to step up, and, and luckily he's been able to step up to that task. But Cam can only do so much. You see him dominate on the line of scrimmage with passes defended or, or passes batted down. You see him penetrating pockets. But when it comes to the run game, the running back's going one direction and one direction only, right? When it's a, when it's a pass play, yeah. Cam Hayward has time to get to the quarterback. Now, we've seen him penetrate the line of scrimmage so that he can force tackles for a loss, whether it's via his own efforts or doing stopping a gap and forcing the running back to go to a different direction and allowing someone like Bugs or Wormley or Highsmith or T.J. Watt to actually lock up that tackle for a loss. But it, it's so frustrating because you know what this run defense is capable of, but with it so depleted as it is in 2020, it's, it's, it's just not able – to, to fill the holes left by Tyson Alualu and Steph to it. It's funny. There's a play that's just burned in my brain from last Sunday night Which one? against Seattle where Collins had a good run, like 10-yard run, mm -hmm. and the guy who brought him down was Cam Hayward. And Hayward, <laughs> they got they blew by the line, and Hayward ran step for step with the running back and ended up catching up with him about eight, nine yards down the field and bringing him down for a tackle. So obviously a good play for the Seattle offense, but it's just funny to see, A, how athletic Cam Hayward is that he can track down a running back in the second level, and B, it's just it's illustrated, it's illustrative of how he is the only guy on that line. They all get blown by by Collins, and he's the one that ends up running him down and making that tackle. It's just he's a man on an island right now as far as that defensive line is concerned, and I think Tomlin – dropping the names of Isaiah Bugs and then implying that other people needed to step up on that defensive line publicly to the media was a calculated move by Tomlin. I think he too is recognizing the below-the-line play, no pun intended, from his defensive line. He's trying to light a little fire under these guys because he he's probably realizing just as we are, you know, week eight now, no to it. Week nine, probably no to it. I mean, we're getting into the dog days now. You don't have one of your stud defensive linemen, probably never going to have your stud defensive lineman, or mm -hmm. won't have him at full strength because when he does come back later in the year, it's going to take a couple weeks probably for him to work himself back to that football shape. So probably Tomlin's starting to recognize Bugs, Loudermilk, Davis, hopefully you can get healthy again. 
this is my unit for the year on. I need to light a fire under these guys' butts because if we get the same play that we've been getting from them for the remainder of the season, uh, teams are going to run all over us. I mean, that's what they've done so far. And it's not even good teams, Tom. The Seahawks one was not good. This has not been... This has not been Derrick Henry. This has not been Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. This has not been J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson. This has been guys like A.J. Dillon. This has guys been. This has been guys like um, Alex Collins, as you mentioned last Sunday night. Devin Singletary, who we had no respect for going into Week One against Buffalo, had a couple of decent runs toward the end of the game in the fourth quarter. These are guys who are essentially pedestrian running backs, and they are able to run all over the Steelers' defense because, as you said, Tom, it, it does seem like this team is kind of preparing to go the remainder of the season with guys by the names of Isaiah Bugs and Carlos Davis and Chris Wormley. And you're not going – if you're an opposing offense, you're not going to respect those names, and you're going to say the, re, the way to beat this Steelers' team – is by getting that extra yardage on the ground on first or maybe second down and then airing the ball out and methodically driving down the field. No question. One other thing that Mike Tomlin said in his press conference that really jumped out to me and it had something to do with the Brown side of things, uh, he was asked about you know Keenum's performance on Thursday Night Football and him replacing uh, Baker Mayfield, and he just said something along the lines of, look, they just plugged in five and they did – Cleveland Browns football. What we saw on Thursday was what the Cleveland Browns want to do. Uh, five is a capable. I love how Tom one calls people by their number too. So I'm going to do it here. Five is a very <laughs> five is a very capable veteran that can get in there and win you football games. So you plug and play number five in, and you still play Cleveland Browns football. Seems harmless. Seems like a fairly innocuous coach speak kind of statement. But maybe I'm you know digging a little too deep into this here. But that kind of tells me that he does not think that highly of Baker Mayfield and that when he's taking the tone of, oh, they plugged in five and still played Cleveland Browns football, oh, he's a capable veteran able to get in and get the job done for a couple weeks if needed to. He's essentially saying you can plug in anyone. I kind of feel like he's saying that. Number and, six, and, and I kind of feel like you never heard that last two weeks ago leading into the Seahawks game. You didn't hear – I'm sure he praised Geno Smith and, and didn't, but I don't think you heard him say, oh, you can just plug in Geno Smith and play Seattle Seahawks football because Seattle Seahawks football was all on the back of Russell Wilson. So it would have just been a bold-faced lie. Cleveland Browns football is not by any sense of the mean uh, or by any sense of the word on the back of Baker Mayfield. The Cleveland Browns football is a running first offense that is now playing really good defense this year and sacks the quarterback. That's what the Cleveland Browns want to be. It really doesn't matter what Baker does. Yes, they lose depth of target down the field. One thing Baker does well is he likes to push things. He's the mm -hmm. averaging the 10th highest depth of target in the league this year at 9.6 yards downfield. Keenum's limited action has shown him only throw the ball about 7 yards down the field per attempt. For comparison's sakes, Big Ben is 7.2 yards down the field, and he gets a lot of huff about that. So Keenum doesn't throw the ball downfield at all, so you're losing that. But that's really all you lose is that big explosiveness from Baker's game. And honestly, sometimes that explosive you, nature gets him in trouble. I was going to say, you really want to call it explosiveness because may, <laughs> explosiveness in, in football terms kind of translates to 
big splash plays that are converted most of the time, right? And when I see Baker Mayfield throw the ball down the field, Tom, I don't usually see it converted into a completed pass. Usually it's batted down or it's wildly off-thrown or it's intercepted. Yeah, and I think in a weird way, the fact that they're going to have to tone that down a bit because of Case Keenum might end up helping them more than it hurts them. And obviously with Baker, and there's no question about it, you know, we, we criticize Baker a lot, maybe more than we should. But the one thing that he has that's elite as far as NFL talent is concerned is that kid's got a chooch, man. I mean, that guy can throw the ball 60 yards in the air, no problem. And I don't think Case Keenum can do that. So, no, I don't think so either. You know that Hail Mary that happened a couple weeks ago that the Browns caught in the end zone? Right. Uh, Keenum's not getting it there, I don't think. I don't think so either. And that's and one. That, and that's like the only time I've seen Baker convert on, on, on a and Hail that's, Mary. That's half that. luck, honestly, sure, every time. But just the fact that he's got that chooch and that if there is a coverage breakdown deep in the secondary, Baker can hit you for the home run ball. That is something that he does fairly well. But at the same time, his penchant for throwing the ball deep downfield, I think definitely can get him in trouble. And therefore, the fact that they will be getting away from that with Case Keenum, it actually might be more of a blessing in disguise. And the simplifying of the passing offense might be more of a blessing in disguise because when you're the best team at running the football, second best in rushing yards gained in the NFL – I mean, why do you have to have such an explosive passing offense to to go with that? I mean, obviously it's nice, and obviously it makes you more than just one-dimensional, but with Case Keenum, I think the Browns can get away with being a one-dimensional team for a few weeks. I mean, it, it seems that the Browns believe they can. They went out there, and, and all they did was run, a ball, run the ball. I'm sorry, with um, – I'm blanking on the back the of the name. The Ernest Johnson. The Ernest Johnson, right? They didn't say – well, because we don't have Kareem Hunt and because we don't have Nick Chubb, let's see what Case Kingdom can do with Jarvis Landry and David Njoku and, and Dearness Johnson out of the backfield as a check down guy. No, they still ran the ball, and Dearness Johnson had one of their only two touchdowns on the day. I mean, yes, 17 points for the Cleveland Browns compared to when that offense is at full throttle, full potential, fully, fully healthy, that's a very low scoring output for them. However, it got the job done, and... And I think the Browns are going to be looking themselves in the mirror and saying we're capable of winning games with the guys we have available to us right now, especially if one of those guys, his name is Nick Chubb. We'll get definitely way more into the Browns on a later episode. One last note to wrap things up here, though, on the Steelers. Zach Banner is going to probably be ready to play this week, I'd think. You know, activated from IR before the Seattle Seahawks game. Uh, did not participate in that football game, though but was part of the active roster, just didn't get a helmet. Now he's had uh, another buy, uh, uh, another week off for the bye to get himself even more back to 100%. Had a week of practice now to work himself back into the fold. I don't know if the Steelers know yet who their, three, who their two starting tackles are going to be, but I think you're going to see a combination of all three, assuming that Zach Banner is ready to play some football and – that's a huge plus for them because the Browns are the second-best rush defense in the NFL, and 
the Steelers kind of want to do some Cleveland Browns type things as far as their offense is concerned, where they want to be a really run first football team and they want to beat you with that running attack. And I get worried seeing this matchup of Cleveland's rush defense and the Steelers offensive line that Najee's going to have much room to operate in this game. But you throw Zach Banner back in there and even if he's not the starter, if he's just the number 72 is reported eligible guy, adding some extra beef up front and helping clear some lanes for Najee, I think that's great for, for the Steelers. And and even if Banner has worked himself back to becoming a starter and maybe you bump Dan Moore down on the depth chart and move Chooks back to the left side and have Banner play the right side that you were planning on him playing at the beginning of the year, you know, I think a lot of people are expecting Zach Banner to be the best run blocker on this Steelers offensive mm-hmm. line. and That's what he's known for. That's a, a big plus for them to get him back, so... Again, I think it's still a little up in the air who the tackles are going to be this week against the Cleveland Browns, but definitely keep an eye on things in practice as Banner is working himself back to the fold with this offense, and I don't think there's any question that you'll see him participate this Sunday. It's just a matter of what role he's going to participate in. Yeah, I I would... It's funny how the conversation has changed so, so often and so many times since the start of training camp about the offensive line, right? We have said so many times it's all about consistency. It's all about building chemistry because the offensive line, that that unit more so than any other on the football field, regardless of offense or defense, has to play the most snaps together in order to have your best output by the end of the year. And here we are saying at week seven, saying, well, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to kind of switch out Zach Banner now that you have available him available to you this isn't Quentin Nelson this isn't David Bakhtiari this isn't some of the best guards or tackles you've seen in the National Football League this is just Zach Banner who has started one game in his NFL career and that game came over a year ago and he had to he suffered a huge ACL MCL injury in between that time so this isn't someone who you're saying, well, this is a guaranteed starter that that you're getting back and it's going to help you tenfold. No, this is just someone who can possibly improve one aspect of your of your offense. Yeah, no one's trying to make him out to be, you know, the second coming of Alan Fanica or, or some world beater right. offensive lineman. But it, anything helps when you're not playing that well. In the exactly. Line. That's the problem with the offensive line right now with the Steelers is we kind of, I think, got a little starry-eyed with this offensive line in training camp saying it's well, easy to do that at training camp well exactly well trey turner is a veteran and, and oh, has and, he been the most disappointing part of course too. but and zach banner's not gonna, their false start on sunday night against the seahawks i don't think we ever got to that but just he's been such a disappointment zach banner's or, or kevin dotson's gonna reach that that pro bowl level and kendra green's gonna fill up right where marquis pouncey left off and and the the tackles are going to be fine. The left side has been encouraging. Sure. Dotson, I think, leaves more to the imagination. I think Green's been really good for a rookie, and Dan Moore shouldn't be playing. So he's doing better than I think we could ever expect. So the, le- the left side has hope at That's least. fair. The right just, side, though, woof. We were considering we – were, we were talking ourselves into during training camp saying this offensive line, it's going to be nowhere near – the thirty second best. No, we thought it would be best. like fifteenth in the league, sixteenth average, just an average line. Worst. And here we are, and, and it's right toward the lower twenties, if not in the thirties. So you have to do whatever you can to get that number to to improve that production from your offensive line. And 
if that goes against tradition by saying screw chemistry and screw consistency, that's what you got to do at this point. Absolutely. You got to throw as much as you can at it, and that's why, you know, when we get really in-depth with the Browns, you'll see that they do 13 personnel, which is three tight ends on the field 21% of the time. That is 11% more than the next closest team in the NFL. So they go beefy more than anybody because they love to run the football. So it makes sense. And they got a really good offensive line on top of adding those three tight ends on top of it. So I think the Steelers just need to you know, kind of take a play from that book and say – we'll do 13 personnel with one of the three tight ends being Zach Banner and, you know, the other two being Fryermuth and Gentry and having those six offensive linemen and two more tight ends up there to run the ball. And, and people will say, well, now the other team knows you're running the ball. Of course. I hate that excuse more than anything. That excuse has been thrown out, I think, by the Steelers themselves too. Tom oh, and I, I think, think they're extremely guilty of it. I don't understand why that's a thing like, do you really think the Browns don't think that the other team knows they're going to run the ball when they jump three tight ends out there and go into 13 personnel? Of course the other team knows it. You know what? The Browns are just better than the other team, so they can't stop it. Do you really think the Titans are kidding themselves and think, well, we got to get really cute with our game plan here because— <laughs> Let's not give Derrick Henry exactly. the ball 30 times in the game. Like. The let's, other, let's not let Lamar Jackson run the ball any chance he wants. All week long, heading into Titans week, the opposing coaches are saying, we got to figure out a way to stop Henry. They're going to give Henry the ball 30-plus times in this game, and they do it, and he runs for 150 yards anyway because it doesn't matter if the other team knows what you're doing if you're going to execute what you want to do to perfection and if you're just going to outwill that other team. And I think we're going to start to see that from the Steelers moving uh, – along in this season because you are starting to see double tights a lot more. You are starting to see Derek Watt lined up in the backfield in front of Najee Harris. Kind of, I guess, tipping your hand that you're going to run the ball, but you got to do it. It's a necessity because you just don't have the five hogs up front that can do it on their own. So you need to give them as much help as you possibly can. And, you know, run the ball when the defense is, quote-unquote, expecting you to 5, 10, 15 times. That's 16th time. How about a little play action, Matt Canada? How about a little misdirection? How about big jumbo eye formation? Oh, my God, what's that? Fryermuth is leaking out into the middle of the field, and he's wide open for 15, 20 yards. So even though that you're going to tip your hand, per se, there's ways that you can use that to your favor later in the game and also just go out there and execute and, and be better you than the other team. You have to do it. Yeah, you have, you to, have to do you it. You can't just say, we, can, we, we want to do this, you have to do it. No question about it. And I, I hope they continue to get more beefy up front and, and take a page from that Cleveland Browns playbook moving forward. But that'll do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. As always, we are very appreciative of you lending your ear to our voices. For Jacob Brecht, I am Tom Offerman, and we will talk to you guys on our next edition of the Standard.